Hello and welcome to episode number 18 of News of the Nerd, the podcast where we talk about movies, TV shows, video games, comic books and anything else remotely nerdy and today we will be talking about 2023's Across the Spider-Verse. I am Jason and I'm here with my brother slash co-host Ben. Hello Ben. Hello brother slash co-host. And I'm also here with my co-worker slash special guest. It's a different Ben. Hello, different Ben. Hello, guys. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. He's a, a subscriber from the start on our OnlyFans. <laughs> yeah, Ben is our only listener, so we have no listeners this episode. I feel honoured to have um, been asked to come on. It's great. And I love the podcast. I want to say, Matt, you've had me on. It is a very good podcast. Thank you. We know, but, you know. <laughs> you're not you're not Henry Cavill, but we appreciate it. Pay me later. Henry Cavill's the next guest. I keep trying. I'm messaging him. <laughs> Might have to turn up at his house. Sliding into his DMs. Just send him an email saying, like, we've reconsidered. Pretend you're James Gunn. We actually are having you back as Superman. Then he'll respond. <laughs> okay, so normally when we're talking about new releases, we don't talk about news at all. But I did just want to touch on a bit of related news this week. And that is that uh, Amy Pascal from Sony Pictures has been talking to Variety uh, last week. And when she was asked about the possibility of a Spider-Woman film or a live-action Miles Morales film, she said, you'll see it all, it's all happening. Avi Arid also said about Spider-Woman that you can expect to see her on the big screen sooner than you expect. So that's all confirmed. I mean... That is confirmation that we're getting a Miles Morales film and a Superwoman film. Superwoman? Fuck Superwoman, Spider-Woman. Is this going to be, though, part of their weird SCU, or is it going to be something that could happen in Secret Wars and the main MCU? That's something that genuinely worries me, is that Sony will make a Miles Morales film without any involvement from Marvel Pictures, and it won't be part of the MCU. They really should collaborate with Marvel if they're going to use Miles Morales. And there's an easy way to do it as well. They should just collaborate with Marvel if they're going to do any sort of superhero. Well, yeah. (laughs) If Tom Holland's doing another trilogy, you could introduce Miles as a minor character who he's maybe helping out with as a volunteer. Then the second film, you could have a bit like the Miles Morales PS4 game, Spider-Man showing him the ropes. And then the third film, have Miles maybe even as the main character. Yeah, Miles deserves to be in the MCU. Definitely. Yeah, it's it's such a cool Spider-Man. It's a very it's such a different Spider-Man. Yeah. When was the last time Sony made a Spider-Man related film that was actually really good, like without Spider-Man. Marvel's involvement? Spider-Man one. Spider-Man two. I'd say yeah, Spider-Man Spider-Man two with uh, Tobey Maguire. Speaking of which, actually, I did see uh, this last week Tom Holland. I was just uh, about to say this, you bastard. Oh, go on. I've seen a report saying that he's taking a year's break from acting. That's not what I was going to say. Oh, is it not? Well, I was just going to say, if I had Zendaya, I'd take a year's break as well. What were you going to say, Jason? I was going to say that Tom Holland has just turned 27 this, this month. He is now the same age Tobey Maguire was when he filmed the first Spider-Man film. Tom Holland's 27? Tom Holland is 27. He looks 12. I thought he was at least my age. He does look very youthful. 
That was a funny thing when he appeared at the end of that first Civil War trailer. And people were like, oh, he sounds like a kid. It's like, he's meant to be a kid. <laughs> yeah. Parker's meant to be a He's kid. meant to be like 14. <laughs> and that's crazy. Wasn't Andrew Garfield a similar age when he started in The Amazing Spider-Man? 27. I'm not sure. It's like Tom Holland was sort of the first near age appropriate yeah. live adaptation. What's really weird is if you've ever noticed that the Spider-Man actors always end up dating their significant other. Did Toby date Kirsten Dunst? Very briefly, I believe. I don't know. I don't, think it, I don't think it lasted very long, but they did. And then Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone did. And obviously Tom Holland and Zendaya. I didn't know that Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone dated. I'm like, I don't yeah, pay attention cool, to any yeah. of that. See, that's why I'm here. I'm here for the click. Clickbait. <laughs> you won't believe who Tom Holland's dating. It can be the headline. <laughs> All of the clickbait on social media lately does seem to be Zendaya and Tom Holland broken up. It's like, no, they haven't. They've engaged. <laughs> they're no longer boyfriend and girlfriend. They're now engaged. Yeah, I'm I'm still not interested in celebrity love lives. Uh, but no, you're you're right with they, what you they said. They will be when we're celebrities. Tom Holland has said that he's taking a year break from acting. Tom Holland has just finished uh, filming an Apple TV crime thriller called The Crowded Room. Mm-hmm. Um, and when he was talking about it, he he did say. He was talking about how hard it was filming. He said, there did come a time where I needed a break and disappeared and went to Mexico for a week and had time on a beach and laid low. I'm taking a year off. And that is as a result of how difficult this show was. I'm excited to see how it turns out. I feel like our hard work wasn't in vain. So yeah, Tom Holland is taking a year off acting. So I would imagine we're not getting Spider-Man 4 anytime particularly soon because that means he's not going to start filming it while this time next year. They've not the... even written it yet, though, have they? And well, obviously, writer strikes. Yeah, so that's something else that uh, Amy Pascal was asked about. She said, are we going to make another movie? Of course we are. We're in the process, but the writer's strike, nobody's working during the strike. We're all being supporters, and whenever they get themselves together, we'll get started. Whenever they get up off their lazy asses. That is how it sounded, isn't it? When they get themselves <laughs> together, like the studio's got no responsibility in it. That's definitely going to break the whole... They've essentially done a Spider-Man film every two years recently, haven't they? So it's obviously going to... Um, that cycle's already been broken anyway. When's the ne- When do you think the next time we see Tom Holland? Kang Dynasty? Yeah, I don't know if we can squeeze in another Spider-Man before then. Especially with the slate, how it is. So, what what's the slate saying? Twenty twenty four, twenty twenty five. Can't remember which one. Part of me thinks Kang Dynasty will get delayed again, though. Kang Dynasty is twenty twenty five, and then see, uh, Secret Wars is after that. Yeah, I think Secret Wars is twenty twenty six. I don't. I didn't think there was that much gap between them. Originally, there wasn't. It was like three months, wasn't there, when they first announced it? It was crazy. Is it like November 2025 and then March 2026, something like that? Yeah, they are very close together. Let me look for that. Oh, no, so they're both 2025. May the 2nd for Kang Dynasty and then November the 7th for Secret Wars. I thought they were... I thought they were... I didn't think they'd go or went into 2026. No, we've not got anything slated for 2026 yet. 
I think that's the next time we see Tom Holland in the MCU is Kang Dynasty. No spoilers for Across the Spider-Verse yet that we're going to be talking about, but I think we might see Tom Holland in Beyond the Spider-Verse next year, but that's not MCU. Well, do I remember before or after um, Into the Spider-Verse came out, apparently they were going to plan a cameo with Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield and Tom Holland. And people are like, oh, that would have been so cool. But I'm glad he didn't because obviously that eventually led to the live action cameo. Yeah, yeah. So that was a, that was a good example of them not giving in to sort of fan service and thinking, oh, yeah, that sounds great. Let's do it. Okay, let's move on. Let's talk about Across the Spider-Verse. I keep having to think about what it's called. I keep wanting to call it <laughs> Into the Spider-Verse. You keep pausing and I'm like... Yeah, because I need to make sure I give it the right name. It's like it's like the Xboxes. I can never remember which one's which. Oh, can we not get started on this conversation again? <laughs> it's Spider-Verse 2, Electric Boogaloo. That's the easiest way to... <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's the name of the episode. <laughs> right there. Sorted. So, we'll start off spoiler-free. We saw Spider-Man. Right, into spoilers. <laughs> Other Ben, you're you're the guest. Do you want to go first? What what did you think to Spider Verse Two? Other Ben, <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. I'm not offended. I'll take Other Ben. Um, no, I th- I thought it was really good. Um, I'm pleased. I'm sort of a convert to the sort of Spider Verse films. I remember. I don't know why I had this weird snobbishness about it when the first one came out. Even though I was really into the, this isn't an MCU film. I was really into the MCU in 2018. I think by virtue of it not being associated with that, I just thought, oh, no, it's not for me. But I watched it on the plane here later and just was totally engrossed by it. And I think this really improves on the first one. It's one of the few animated sequels that's better than the original, which is really hard to pull off. And I think whether you're a diehard Spider-Man fan or a casual fan, I think there's something here for you. And it's really enjoyable. Um, Yeah, I just thought it was absolutely brilliant. I think that's the thing, though. I think Marvel has ruined superheroes a little bit. Because if they're not associated with said superhero, you're just a bit like, mm. it's just a dedication to the craft as well. Like I read that the, the um, this isn't a spoiler really, but there's a there's a big chase scene, and apparently that took four years to animate with a sort of comic book style animation, and it's just the sort of dedication to do something like that. I just think it's really impressive. It is. No, I agree. I. So I when the, I remember this first being announced and I read it and I'm like, yeah, you know, new new animated Spider-Man film, it's going to introduce Miles. All right, fine, I'll probably watch it when it comes to streaming. But then when I saw the first trailer, I was like, oh no, but this is this is not just an animated film, like they're doing something special with this. So uh, yeah, I I feel like I was one of the few people who went to see this in the cinema because well, the, the the first one, Into the Spider-Verse, because it didn't have a massive box office, but I think it's one of those films that's since been discovered uh, on streaming and on, I was going to say on, on DVD. No one buys DVDs anymore, do they? So mostly on streaming. <laughs> I know, like, Sky pushed it heavily as well on their, like, channels. Yeah. So I think a lot of people have discovered it since it left cinemas. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's got a really big following now. You were there earlier, Ben, at work. I was trying to convince someone to watch this film, 
and she was like, oh, no, no, no. Like, you think it, it, it's, you know, it's a cartoon. It's not going to be any good. The way I've convinced her that she needs to watch it is by saying, have you ever enjoyed any Spider-Man film? If the answer's yes, watch this because it's better. That's what I might, that's what I might say to Dad because he refuses. That did capture attention, I remember. And I, I saw said to her as well that I was either one of the biggest sceptics about the first film and loved it. Um, I think it has pleasantly surprised a lot of people, both films really, because it's it's not just a superhero film, it's not just an animated superhero film. Like, Lego Batman was really fun, for example, but I don't think that's like stayed in the pop culture consciousness the way into the Spider-Verse has. I fucking love Lego Batman. No, it is a great film, <laughs> don't get me wrong. I love the character of Lego Batman. Lego Batman is like a distinct character from Batman. Like, he's just like a really over-the-top caricature of Batman. I just like how any Lego character in anything animated, when they're getting changed, they literally just take a head off. My favourite line in that is when Robin says, like, wow, Batman lives in Bruce Wayne's basement? And he goes, no, Bruce Wayne lives in Batman's attic. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I think it's, you know, I mentioned those films, I think it's just, it's persuading people to look beyond, oh, this is just an animated film, or this is just a kid's film as well, and that's another sort of misconception. Yes, it's a family film, but it's got deeper themes that can appeal to adults, even if it's not got the rating to sort of go with it. Yeah, I do wonder how many people took their kids to see Into the Spider-Verse expecting a children's film to see Spider-Man beaten to death in like the first 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes. Wasn't really beaten, was it? It was one punch. Like, that's what I mean. Like, he he was murdered with Kingpin's bare hands. I feel like that's so much more brutal than if he was shot or disintegrated or something. Yeah, definitely. It was. Um, it took me by surprise when I watched that. I was like, oh, okay. This isn't like a PG film, necessarily. <laughs> ben, what, what were your thoughts on Across the Spider-Verse? I really liked it. Um, I think the, the animation was what got me, like the mix of animation styles is just like... And like as Ben's saying, it's like, even if you're not a hardcore fan, there's still something for you. But if you are a hardcore fan, there's just so many little Easter eggs and just little things to catch your eye. Yeah, you, you're, not, you're never bored, and I was never bored through either film because of... You might get angry if someone's playing music off a phone. Oh, tell me about it. We um, <laughs> all of us watched it, didn't we, in the cinema, and there was so many irritating people um, in the audience. It was really frustrating. I don't know when it became acceptable to just get your phone out in the cinema and start scrolling through Facebook and just sit there on your phone. I just, I loved it because this guy, this kid started playing music on his phone and some guy behind him just went, Oi! Enough! (laughs) I was like, yes! It was very annoying. It was one one of the most annoying screens I've been in for a long time, but even that didn't manage to ruin the film, though. No, we still came out of the film enjoying it, but it's been common in cinemas now, sadly, though, just people just causing those distractions. And it's weird as well, because I feel younger people of our age acknowledge that we're glued to our phones too much, and yet they don't take the opportunity to like think, for a couple of hours, I can just be liberated from that, turn my phone off, put it on silent, just watch the film be engrossed in that. If you still can't put your phone down, you shouldn't be in the cinema. 
the most annoying it. thing the most annoying thing was the clapping yeah that's how really sarcastic as well i think it's genuine applause yeah, applauding at the end of a film always feels weird to me. It feels like an American thing to do. It's like I said this to you, didn't I? I said that on on the on on the Lost podcast <laughs> um, that it's yeah, more. We, of we like... should just explain that. <laughs> yeah, come on. So this is the second time we've recorded a across the Spider Verse podcast because the first time somebody's audio didn't record and it was just me talking to myself it did record it just wiped itself clean afterwards so it became the jason audio diaries <laughs> yeah i should have just put it out anyway but no the, the whole clapping thing is i feel like a premiere thing for movie premieres like that's okay if you're clapping at a movie premiere because the people are there the problem is it was, it was clearly sarcastic. That's what annoyed me. It wasn't a spontaneous, I really enjoyed that film kind of applause. It was, let's grab some attention from people. Because it's, it's the same group that were playing the music. But it's, it's people talking in cinemas as well. That's happening loads now. There's that row behind us as well. It's like we were attacked from all sides just by irritating people. But yeah, back to the, um, the sort of film itself. I felt the, vo- the voice acting was top-notch as well. And again, this go. Same with the original. Like there was, there's not a weak spot at all. Whether it was someone who had a small role, um, or the main roles, especially Haley Steinfeld as um, Gwen Stacy, just brilliant voice acting all around. Yeah, and obviously we get Oscar Isaac's uh, reprising his role as Spider-Man 2099. He was in the post-credit scene of the first film. Has a much bigger role in this, uh, and does a great job. I think my favourite. My favourite voice actor in this was probably Daniel Kaluuya as Spider-Punk. Yeah. I, I was, really um, enjoyed really enjoyed the, the character and the performance. One thing I realised as well is the multiversal potential it had and delivered on. We weren't shortchanged on it. Like, I didn't mind Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Badness, and I enjoyed it more on the second watch, but it felt like, despite the title, you had a handful of universes you saw briefly. But this one, just the way you went through all sorts of different settings and backgrounds, it was living up to the expectations you'd have. Yeah, this is the real multiverse of madness. I yeah, think definitely. we said that in a podcast about it, didn't we? That it was good to see all the different ones, but it wasn't really the multiverse of madness. It was Doctor Strange in a different multiverse, um, a different universe. It was Doctor Strange in that crazy universe where the main difference is that you walk on a red light instead of a green light. <laughs> <laughs> and there's green shrubbery from the Empire State Building. Yeah. I said to you on the last podcast, Ben, I was asking you if your thoughts had changed on Guardians now that you'd had a bit of time for it to sink in because with that film we recorded the next day and I feel like your opinions can change over time so it's been uh, almost a week now since we watched Across the Spider-Verse and I feel like that there are certain aspects of it that the more I think about the less I like and the more they annoy me but on the whole I think I've just started to feel more and more positive about the film. I think it's not just a great film. I think it's like elevating the superhero movie genre. I feel like it's it's doing something new and interesting, which has been needed for a while now. I know a lot of people, me included, have started to 
to feel a bit disillusioned by recent MCU output up until Guardians 3. And for years and years and years now, people have been saying, like, that's enough superhero films, you know, let's move on to something different. And I've been thinking, no, I love them, I love them, keep them coming, keep them coming. In the last few years, I have started to think, oh, maybe, maybe it is time to move on from superhero films. And then a film like this comes out and just goes to show, like, no, there is still so many interesting stories and so many different interesting ways you can tell those stories. It is a great story, but it is also, like, a fantastically made piece of cinema artistry. Like, you can tell passion and love and style and creativity have gone into every single frame in this film like nothing is in there by accident everything has been painstakingly labored over which is probably why it's taken them five years to get this sequel out that's the thing i think this follows on from what you're saying about superhero fatigue i think rather than churning out films every year whatever for the sake of it if we actually take time to craft together a plan it it pays off i think as well we've been like someone made a good saw this on Twitter as a good point, but since 2017 or even 2016, if you include Civil War, it's just been a great time to be a Spider-Man fan. Not not only in the films, but you think about the games that have come alongside as well. Um, they've just knocked it out of the park, and it's been a we've been fortunate to sort of live through that recently. Yeah, the game the games are incredible. Like that's why I won Miles Morales in live action because the Miles Morales game is amazing not just graphically but the addition of the music that they put to it and the fit like the stunts that you can do like and the way miles morales is he is a very parkour web slinger yeah and then in this into the spider-verse and across the spider-verse you get that you get the music and his style of web slinging which is why I want to see it so much live action because they, they could do so much with that because that is Miles Morales' Spider-Man is the music and the and his style of web-slinging and how different he is to a normal web-slinger. I love as well in, in both games just the dynamic use of music so it's all calm and quiet and then as soon as you start web-slinging, the music kicks in. It's obviously a lot more orchestral for Peter Parker's game and then for Miles Morales you've got that... Um, sort of a different style of music to that. A bit it's just, more R&B. Yeah, and it's just um, those little touches. But the, the graphics on those games as well are just, yeah, absolutely yeah. fantastic. When I played the first PS4 Spider-Man game, I spent a lot of time using the photo mode and just playing around with with different filters and exposure levels and things in, in the photography mode and uh, uploading those. I think I uploaded them to Instagram. I can't really remember. It helped me to... I went to New York not long after getting that game for the first time, and weirdly, it helped for like. <laughs> you knew your way around. Yeah, not like. like ah, I jumped off that building. <laughs> yeah, not through web slinging, but but weirdly, there's a building. You know the Avengers Tower in the first game. There's a building near to there that looks a bit like that in actual New York. <laughs> I was like, wait, is the Avengers Tower real? <laughs> but it just shows. I think through the games and the latest Spider Verse film, I think Miles Morales is getting into pop culture conversations far more i think we were saying this earlier weren't we jason i think years to come he'll be known maybe not as much as peter parker maybe he will 
but he'll start to become associated with Spider-Man far more than just Peter Parker on his own. Yeah, like he he has he has led his own game. I mean, fair enough it was it was almost DLC to the first one, but of the new game, he is he is co-lead, he is there equal with Peter Parker. And from the trailer, I feel like he's probably going to have to save Peter's ass. Like, he's going to have to be the one that, like, pulls him round, stops him from going full dark symbiote. Okay, so I think we've talked all we can spoiler-free, so shall we get spoilerific? Whoop, whoop! Spoilerific! Whoop, whoop! Let's do it. Okay, well, I think the, the the best place to start is right at, at the, the beginning. <laughs> no, let's, let's start right at the beginning um, because I just want to talk about how surprised I was that this opens with Gwen. Oh, so you're surprised by a strong female lead? I mean, I was mostly surprised because the first one was very much Miles's film and I was expecting this to be the same and to an extent it is, but Gwen's... I don't think it's as much her film, but she is a much bigger part of it than she was in the first one. It is almost a Gwen and Miles film. Which I think is great. And you're right, it was it was surprising that it started with Gwen, but it was good. I think it was that engrossing, the backstory she was giving. You never like, hurry up, get to Miles. You almost I was all stay about on that the story drumming. a bit longer. Yeah, the drumming was great. I really love that that very beginning opening sequence when she's she's saying something along the lines of how you know she she let Miles down and he wasn't the only one and then this and he wasn't the only one and yeah I loved that whole that whole sequence I did think the vocals were a bit difficult to hear but I didn't think that all the way through the film apparently some people have said when they've seen it they've not been able to make out what people have been saying as bad as the screen we were in was for other reasons, I, I don't think the sound quality was bad at all. I could make out pretty much what people were saying all the time. Just in that that very first opening, the drumming was a bit louder than the vocals. But maybe yeah. that's on purpose. Maybe it's like disorientating. It's just showing how overwhelming it's been for her. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It was good to have that focus, and I think that set up the film nicely. Um, it been a bit more jarring if it just opened with where Miles comes into it. And it's great that she's almost a co-lead, essentially, in the film. I think it, it adds that element of sort of drama and emotion to it. I feel like we get so much more personality from her in this one. Definitely. Yeah, you understand who she is more. And it's interesting that this is like a year later, is it? Yeah, I think it is. What's interesting is that she's kept the shaved head that she only got because Miles got stuck to her. She wasn't happy about the shaved head in the first one, but she's since decided to keep it. And grown her hair the other side. Yeah. Do we think that's because it reminds her of Miles or she just actually looked in the mirror and went, actually, yeah, that's not bad. Probably a bit of both. But that's a good example of like show, don't tell storytelling rather than she looked in there and said like i've got this hairstyle because i want to remember miles it's that's just a nice subtle bit of sort of character growth yeah yeah and i'm glad they expanded on what happened to her peter parker i think it was it was hinted at in the first one but apparently i'd heard that some people had interpreted that 
in the first one that the lizard had killed Peter. Yeah, I can see because they didn't really show much of it, did they? But like, I knew what had happened because I knew it from the comics. But uh, yeah, this gives gives some proper backstory to her and and the trauma and the loss that she suffered as a spider person. That we've discussed before that like all spider men, all spider people have these these moments that always happen to them. And I was not expecting that to be a plot point of the film, that there are these canon events. But you're right, it's, um, have that as the main driving plot point was really interesting. And I think it made it meta, a meta film without it being in your face too much. Because it's sort of deconstructing different origin stories and the sort of common thread. Yeah. But rather than thinking that's what's motivated them and then here's a separate story, it's like you said, that it's made that the story and whether it's avoidable and whether that fate can be changed. I feel like they did make Spider-Gwen the main character without making it obvious it was her, because even everything Miles did was pulled back to something about her. I, I don't think she's the main character, but I think she is She is more than a love interest. She's the driving force because. Of this film. The trap a lot of films fall into is that the love interest has no real personality trait other than being an object of desire for the lead character. And what what this like opening it's it's not a small chunk either, is it? It's like the opening like fifteen, twenty minutes that focuses on Gwen and what that does is really give her substance so that she's she's not just she's not just someone for Miles to pine after. She's her own person with agency. She's going to make her own decisions and those decisions make sense for her personality because she has one and she's not just, she's not just the pretty girl, which is what Jessica in Rick and Morty was. I think the reason that they wrote her out of, uh, of Rick and Morty eventually was because she had just become an object of desire with no real personality of her own. And I, I don't think it's an accident that they they fleshed out Gwen's character more here. I think, you know, they were aware that they didn't want to fall into those same traps. And I think it makes for a more interesting dynamic because often in superhero films in general, like you say, you do have that stereotypical object of desire with not much agency. Um, but often they're a civilian as well. So there's that element of like, oh, I, don't, I can't tell them my identity. I've got to protect them, that sort of thing. Whereas Gwen and Miles are both, both got the Spider-Man, Spider-Woman powers. Um, so yeah. it takes away that sort of well-trodden plot point of like, oh, I'm worried they're going to die sort of thing. Yeah, it means that another trap that superhero movies especially fall into is that the love interest is just the damsel in distress. Yeah, exactly. How many times is Superman going to have to save Lois Lane? How many times is Spider-Man going to have to save Mary Jane because she's being dangled off a building by the bad guy? That's not going to happen here. In fact, it'd be interesting to, sh to change it up so that Miles becomes the one in distress that I mean, Gwen has is. to save. He is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly, yeah. He's tied up to a punching bag. Yeah, we will get to that. <laughs> I think this is roughly chronological, but it's not a massive... Well, we're into spoilers anyway. It's not a massive spoiler, but I think we all agree on that brilliant shot where Gwen 
starts she's on top of a tall building starts to walk upside down and miles follows her so obviously the whole view of new york flips upside down it's just a fantastic shot i liked the i don't know if it was intentionally done but miles actually being behind her at an angle right so she was like in the center of that sat and he was behind her kind of just like listening to her side of things yeah and like i said earlier this is such a meticulously made film that none of these things are done because they look cool it's all it's it's all meaning something and it's all metaphor and that shot reminds me a lot of the shot in uh in the first spider-verse film when miles first gets his suit his proper suit and jumps off the building but the camera's inverted so actually he's rising because he's rising to the occasion and finally becoming spider-man and i felt like the same kind of metaphor was running through this so miles and gwen are upside down but from our perspective they're the right way up and the world is upside down because the that's... only way you know they're upside down is because her hair's like Ooh. yeah the world is upside down because that's how the world feels to them and again it's 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 subtle filmmaking it's it's not falling into the trap of like oh miles my world's been turned upside down sort of thing <laughs> yeah using really cheesy dialogue like that you can just see it for yourself you don't have to have it sort of shoved in your face you can interpret that how you do um as you you mentioned gwen's hair being upside down in that shot i thought a, such a brilliant like attention to detail moment was without thinking about it before she walks upside down she gets a bobble out of her pocket and puts her hair in a bobble and i just feel like moments like that you can tell that they've really thought like how would this character act in this moment because this isn't something unusual for her to be able to go upside down so it's not it's not an afterthought it's just something she does i a, a bit of this that always sticks in my head and i keep thinking about it for some reason is when she's stood upside down and she uses her webs to cross her legs. And it's kind of effortless, isn't it, as well? Yeah. She's clearly done it loads of times. It's not like, oh, I'm going to risk trying to do this. It's also, my also thought is like, why does she need to do that? <laughs> like, surely everything's sticky. I don't know. The, the, the stickiness in Spider-Man, it's never, it's never properly explained, is it? They just are. Even through their suit, it doesn't matter. They just are. Don't worry about it. They just have curved follicles. It's like on the games when you can just sprint up a building just with your feet. The, yeah. The, the gravity mechanics don't make sense, but you'd have to think about it too much. <laughs> what did you guys think to... Obviously, I think Miles is very sympathetic. You're obviously rooting for him. But bear in mind we're all adults and have that adult perspective. How much do we sympathise with um, Jefferson, his dad, and Rio's mum in terms of how concerned they are for him? Yeah, I feel like I can see all sides there. Because being Spider-Man, I, I think, is generally used as a metaphor for being a teenager and and, and that, that feeling of, of just feeling feeling different and awkward and 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 so like even though being able to talk about yeah and so even though i'm not spider-man as far as you know the the conversations they were having miles and his parents didn't feel completely alien like they felt on the verge of of real conversations that 
you would have with your parents when you're that kind of age just like you know what 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 is going on why are you acting this way but also and the area feel- that they live it's a real thing that they'd be concerned that some is into not necessarily in something good like it's not it's not the cleanest neighborhood is it yeah and you know maybe their concerns are valid because we see what miles could become if he never got bitten by the spider and it and his dad knows what his brother came and he knows that he's close to his brother yeah so i mentioned earlier this is the second time we're recording uh this podcast so we we talked last episode we were wondering why jefferson in this is called he calls himself lieutenant morales not lieutenant davis because we did check Um, and his name is actually jefferson davis along with his brother aaron davis so i googled it and the answer that google gave me was that because aaron and jefferson were into some dodgy stuff before he became a cop he changed his name when he married rio to distance himself from that and so that miles wasn't associated with the things that he used to be into so he's always going to have that fear there's also the awkward jefferson davis was a confederate individual during the civil war which is which, a problematic name yeah like why i don't understand why they chose that name for him in the first place maybe it was just ignorance like they didn't realize maybe they were like aaron davis sounds cool Okay, so he's Miles' uncle. So what we're calling him is Dad Jefferson. Oh, we can't use Jefferson Davis. Oof. It may, it maybe it was just name. like Jefferson Davis has a ring to it, and I don't know why. <laughs> it's like it's like the Friends episode where he's like where Joey's trying to come up with a stage name. It's like Joseph Stalin. <laughs> but I think as well in in the terms of the plot point, it's a nice and progressive inverting of sort of marital expectations, like throughout history it's been assumed and happened that the bride would take the groom's name, but we're seeing gradually more and more that actually it doesn't have to be that way. You can, you know, you can take your wife's name. More wokeness. <laughs> names, woke. becoming, names becoming woke. <laughs> All the woke. But I think as well, as an audience member, you sort of, I'm sort of inside sort of screaming, just tell them, surely it's easier to tell them you're Spider-Man. But then you think back to his uncle's death and think, actually, how did it help that his uncle knew he was Spider-Man? You know, he ended up dead. So he's obviously worried that that's going to happen to his parents as well. So that whole inner conflict, which I think is so relatable, because um, we've all been teenagers before and we've all gone through that, but not knowing who you are and your place in the world sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, and and you you can like you were saying understand his parents' concern as well. Like it it is it is obvious that something is going on with him, and uh, it's natural that they that they want to know, and that, you know all the things that they must be like imagining that he's he's getting into, he's getting up to. None of them will be that he's Spider Man. <laughs> Although I feel like his dad should have worked it out after some of the conversations <laughs> he's had with Spider Man. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's a sign of me getting older. I sympathise with his parents being annoyed with him that he wasn't there in time for his dad's big promotion party, even though we know that the reason for that is because he was fighting the spot, the main yeah. villain. But obviously they don't know that, do they? And again, it comes back to that contextual sort of understanding. 
we know that as the audience, we see what happens, but you can understand both sides and their own frustrations of that sort of conflict. Whereas I think more generic films has been that the parents have been the buzzkills and getting in the way of the teenage hero, but they're how they react to this. They're such good parents, though. Really good and nurturing and supportive. And when they're angry, you get why they're angry. It's not an irrational response from them. No. Yeah, they they are they are great parents, and as we know, like pretty much every every big superhero and like almost any children's character can't have both of their parents. They have to have had a, a parent die in a traumatic way that's set them on their path, like Superman and Batman and uh, Peter Parker. Like everyone's Bambi. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's lost their parents. Land before time. Do, do you think that that with Miles we are going to get a superhero that is allowed to keep both of his parents and have a It doesn't have to return one. A happy family. I a happy so. family dynamic. But I think the only other time we really see that is Miss Marvel. If they change it, I know in the comic books we don't get that though, do we? No, in the comic books, his dad does in die. E- in every version of Miles Morales that we have, he doesn't have his dad. But he has his uncle. So in Spider-Verse, have they flipped it? I think given how the film ends as well, you'd hope that both his parents do survive because that is a key part of the, the whole plot, that he doesn't want to just think, oh, this canon event says that his dad should die. So to say, other people have got to go with it. It's his whole determination to save him. Yeah, in fact, let's get into that. Let's get into canon events because this is the thing that the more I think about, the more it kind of pisses me off. So Miguel O'Hara, Spider-Man 2099, the crew that he has put together, he has basically put together to ensure that canon events happen. And most canon events seem to be that someone has to die. And I can't think of pretty much any apart from maybe superior spider-man i can't really think of any iteration of spider-man that would be on board with that plan and like definitely not um the the, the scarlet spider uh ben riley definitely not peter parker even though peter b parker is a different version from what we know in other mediums um there was the spectacular spider-man there peter b parker is the closest peter parker to peter parker yes I feel they're like their lives are basically parallel apart from very minor differences. Yeah. The spectacular Spider-Man from a cartoon, he was there. Like the, even the Spider-Man from a PS4 game, I cannot cannot fathom any of these spider people going, "Okay, yeah, so we need to make sure that these people do die." They would all say no there must be another way that we have to try and find another way. Well, that was the whole plot point for No Way Home, wasn't it? That he, Tom Holland's Peter Parker didn't want to send the villains from the other films back to their times to die. He wanted, like you say, to find another way. That exactly. Whole, he fought Doctor Strange just to make sure that didn't happen. Yeah, because that's what Spider-Man does. And that, that is like the whole, the whole core of the with great power comes great responsibility ethos that he lives by but is that just saying spider vamp has corrupted all of them and like brainwashed them i don't know i think i didn't get the feeling they were brainwashed i reckon it was the temptation from the filmmakers to think 
Miles is literally against the world. All these spider people are chasing him. But like we've been saying, you'd have thought a good percentage of them would have been on his side. And maybe that could have made it a bit more plausible because I, when we watched it, I remember thinking there's all these very powerful spider people. How is Miles, even though he's very talented himself, how has he managed to escape? Whereas maybe if you'd had like a quarter of them on Miles' side fighting off the rest, it would have made it, I don't know, a bit more realistic in terms of him escaping and getting out of there. Or am I reading into that too much? Maybe that's what we're going to get from the sequel more, is like two factions. Because it seems like Gwen... So when when Gwen goes back to her home reality and decides, actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to confront my dad, and he tells her that he's, he's yeah, okay, I'm going to quit the force. And she realises he's not a captain anymore. And, oh, wait a minute, maybe... Maybe these aren't set in stone. Maybe these are avoidable. Maybe there is a way, and Miguel is wrong. The only spider person that seems to fall off with the plan earlier is Spider-Punk. I'm not quite sure why he's there, or maybe just for a good time. It makes perfect sense why he wouldn't be on board with the plan, though. That's very much in character. Yeah, one thing I want, I just want to point out, because it's one thing I've realised since the film, and it's a little bit off the topic for it right now, but you mentioned Miguel. Yeah. The chase scene with him and Miles, did you notice how he was using claws to climb? Yeah. Because he can't stick to things. His Spider-Man can't stick to things. So the you, I love the use of the claws. Yeah, I mean, he does have, he does have slightly different spider powers. Um, and, like, even... Even his webs aren't webs. They're like some sort of high-tech Lasers. laser rope. Like they glow red. Was it just bit by a radioactive bat? I can't really remember the origin. Did Spider-Man bite Batman and then Batman bit Miguel? It's making me think who my favourite Spider-Varying was, though. These sort of questions. Because that Spi- whole Spider-Cat. Spider-Cat. End, Spider of dis- end of discussion, Spider-Cat. Spider-T-Rex? Spider Cat did a web ball instead of a hairball. I've just recently bought uh, the new issue of Edge of Spider Verse, and that has got Spider Rex on the cover. So I'm looking forward to reading that. I really liked the inclusion of uh, Sun Spider, who is one of the newer, like literally in the last six months, one of the newer Spider characters. And that is the Spider person who they're in the wheelchair, and then it gets Spider Legs. But also, their crutches are what they, they're modified to shoot webs. So they use the crutches to actually swing, which is really cool. There are some really good Easter eggs, weren't there, in the, in the film in general, whether it's in that fight scene or when he first goes to the Citadel. There's uh, one that you didn't, I don't think you realised, Jason, when I mentioned it, is Rhino. It's they going through all of like the variant that they've captured and they go just a normal rhino yeah i think does she say like interesting craven boring rhino and it's just a rhino <laughs> yeah and it's because it's like we're like is it an evil rhino <laughs> and the spider-man from the ps4 game has like a one second cameo and this is brilliant i think we all sort of looked at each other for they, that. what did they say um a spider-man uh, a gate a video game guy another video game guy wait are you talking about me yeah and of course, the big cameo in that scene that we need to touch on 
is Donald Glover as the Prowler. Yeah, that was impressive. The big question that I have is, is this the payoff from Homecoming where he's playing Aaron Davis? Or are we going to see him again? I'm, I am hoping that we see him again. If they do, I don't, I don't know if they're planning this. It'd be good if they did. If they are planning on integrating Miles Morales into the MCU. It's a perfect way to do it. Exactly, yeah. It's written. Which is, written which is why they could have done it. They, they, they have some sort of idea on the next film. So maybe they, they're giving us little maybe and testing the reaction of that character as well. Maybe. A couple of points to make on that cameo. One is that I read it, it was literally filmed a couple of weeks before the film came out. Like it, it just got in there by the skin of its teeth. Even, See, that's something that makes me think they, they want they want it to be there for a reason. Even in like the audience test screenings, they just had like a cutout of Donald Glover there to let people know that he was going to be there, but they'd not actually filmed it yet. The other thing is, I love that he is in this and is you know now quite a big part of the Miles Morales law with this cameo and the scene that he had in Homecoming because he actually inspired the character. The scene in Community where he he gets out of bed and he's in Spider-Man pyjamas, the original writer of Miles Morales was watching that and was like, that is a character that I would read. And and that, that is the origin of the comic book. He was also, around that time, Donald Glover was, uh, he was petitioning to play Spider-Man. He, he'd wanted to play Spider-Man for a long time. I think he knows that he's too old for that now, which is why he played Aaron Davis instead. I just hope he's in the next Community movie as well. He oh, will get, be. Don't get him started. Don't get him started. He will be. You need to watch Community still then. You really do. It's a great show. Ah, oh, this two room. Side note, the Community movie has been delayed due to the writer's strike, which is a shame. I was very pleased talking about returning characters at the very end that we had people like Spider-Ham pop up. Penny which Parker. I, think was del- I like Penny Parker. And it's deliberately timed as well because... A bit of you in the back of your head during the film thinks, oh, I've not seen him yet. Yeah, I'm glad they put those on the back burner for this film in order to introduce some different characters. But yeah, I am looking forward to getting those back, to getting especially Spider-Man Noir yeah. back in uh, in the next movie. So Spider-Man Noir, Spider-Ham was there, obviously Gwen um, and Peter B was there, Penny Parker was there. There were a couple from this film as well. Yeah. Uh, so Spider-Punk was there. And who else? I'm sure there was someone Spider-Gl- else. What? Spider-Bite? Oh, was Spider-Bite. Oh, yeah, Spider-Bite yeah. was there as well. I'm just gutted. I didn't realise till afterwards Andy Samberg voiced one of the Spider-People. Yeah, he did. He voiced Ben Riley, who's the Scarlet Spider, who's the Spider-Man. He, he's wearing, like, it's like a red hoodie, but with the arms cut off, and then a blue long-sleeved t-shirt underneath it jay peralta brooklyn 99 i just really wanted him to start singing i'm on a boat <laughs> back backstreet boys oh oh yeah that's no. one of the best cold opens see to me as much as i love brooklyn 99 to me he will always be the guy from lonely island not seen it 
You've not watched. I'm surprised you've not watched Lonely Island videos. So they were basically like a YouTube comedy troupe, well, a musical comedy troupe, and that's how he got his start. Um, also, have you ever watched Pop Star Never Stop Never Stopping? No, no but what? I've seen it. Like I've seen it on stream services, but never watched it. That is a really great spoof of like musical biopics slash documentaries and uh yeah well worth a watch especially if you like andy sandberg uh, yes yeah, so i don't think i chose a favorite spider person although i said i really liked the sun spider cameo i think if we're talking like minor appearance like you guys chose the spider cat and spider x minor appearance my favorite was peter parked car <laughs> I love the name. Again, I've got a comic book with Peter Parked Car in it. It is not made up for this film as much as you would expect it might be. It is like Rick Sanchez got really drunk in Rick and Morty and was like naming all these different spider variants and what they could be made of. <laughs> yeah. Um, if we're talking more major spider character, then my favourite is definitely Spider-Punk. He was very good. I, I just, I really like, I wish we'd kind of got more, but especially in the first film, Penny Parker, because I just feel it's such an original take on a spider person. The fact she's got a telepathic link with a spider and the spider's in her dad's robot. Like, it's just a cool take. Yeah, and Penny Parker was originally created by Gerard Way who were uh, <laughs> front man of My Chemical Romance and creator of the Umbrella Academy. I think he's one of those people that when he announced that he was going to start writing comics, everyone was like, oh, yeah, he, like another famous person that thinks that they're going to get into comic book writing. And then he did, and everyone was like, oh, wait a minute. These are actually pretty good. <laughs> I think my favourite... Spider character with a bigger role, and apologies if I got the pronunciation of this wrong, but was the variant played by Karen Sony? Oh, yes. Um, you're talking Spider Man India? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Such a great character. Such a great character. Such a great design as well. Because that, although Spider Man India is a character that already exists, that design is a new design for the film. The original is. It's like Spider-Man costume on top, and then the trousers are like, um, you know where it's just like a, a wrapped piece of fabric all up both legs, and it's like a traditional Indian. That There, there is a, a name for, for that type of garment, but I can't remember it. But that's what Spider-Man India looks like in the comics. But th this one just looks so much more distinctive and iconic. I do hope we ca you can have that costume in the next game. Yeah, me too. The whole sequence was great. It was, and he was such a fun, loving Spider-Man as well, because he's not had his he's not had his great loss yet. He's not had his teaching moment yet. I don't think. No, it's it's almost like when Tom Holland's Spider-Man's first in the MCU. It's that whole, you know, the start of Homecoming. That whole swinging around the city, having fun. Life's great. I enjoy being Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He even says, like, being Spider-Man's great, it's so easy. And obviously he was about to learn that actually people will die if you aren't there to save them, and that was averted. 
So this is another thing where I, I don't know what I think about the whole, like, Captain Singh was saved, so a massive hole just opens up in the reality. I think I would prefer it if the issue was, like, you know, this canon event didn't happen, so now he will never learn the lesson about of, of with great power must also come great responsibility. And because of that, he's going to be more, uh, what's the word, frivolous? Maybe He's going to be more fun-loving in the future and less serious and will possibly cause the death of more people because he's not taking it as seriously as he should be because he's not learned that from the death of Captain Singh. Yeah, which is, uh, that's, that could be a good spin-off film in its own right, in a way, or series, you know, that element of a, a carefree Spider-Man who's not had, not only tragedy, but, you know, deaths close close to them, which is what defines so many of the spider sort of people variants. It's often been a, a relative or a friend who's died, and that's what's motivated them going forward. Yeah, I did think that the... Yeah, that this didn't happen. So now a big hole opened up in the universe. Was a bit of a, I don't know if lazy is the right word, but a bit of an odd, uh, odd storytelling decision, because it doesn't feel like it makes a lot of sense to me. But it, yeah, it, w- it would make more sense if it was just that now he's not learned the lesson that he was meant to learn from that happening. That could feed into the next one, though. Maybe if he's helping out Miles. Maybe he'll be a bit too carefree and like, oh, no, this will work out fine. It always works out fine for the Spider-Man. And maybe that'll be a, yeah. a contentious plot point. That could be quite a devastating death if they kill him off. Oh. That would be a real... I know, I hope it doesn't happen, but that could be a real gut punch. Um, I'm worried now I've predicted like a, a heartbreaking moment. <laughs> in the first if it actually happens, there's just going to be uproar against you. Yeah, sorry. Henry Cavill's coming for you. That would be a scary thought. Are there any spider people that you're aware of that you would expect to be in this film that weren't? Part of me thought, and I'm not saying it would have made the film better or added to it, and this could be something that still happens in the third film. Part of me thought they might do what I said earlier about the rumoured the original three live-action Spider-Men having some sort of cameo, not necessarily a live-action cameo, but maybe a voice cameo, even if only for a couple of seconds. But I wasn't expecting that or hoping it would happen. It would be cool if it's like, you know, to to beat the spot, we need every Spider-Person from every reality. And then, like, as the camera's just panning across all the different Spider-People, you get them three going, oh, hi, it's Peter One. Oh, hi, Peter Two. Oh, nice to see you again. Yeah, something little like that would be great. Yeah. But so I I do think in Beyond the Spider Verse we will get a Tom Holland cameo, because he was notably the only live action Spider Man missing here. But I don't think it's going to be one that's already filmed. I, like I think it's going to be new footage rather than what they did with Toby and Andrew. Yeah, the archive use of previous yeah. films. Yeah, I think that it's going to be something filmed specifically for Beyond the Spider Verse. Yeah. I, th- I think I think you could be right. That could even tie to the gap if we don't get another film. I wish Spider Monkey was in this. Who's Spider Monkey? Spider Monkey is a monkey. So he's, he has a Spider-Man suit, but it also has a tail. He's just a monkey. Okay. What's his origin? 
Or have you just Googled him? Okay, I can... I can... <laughs> From an alternate universe known as Marvel Apes, where pretty much every human is now some sort of ape. I've heard of Marvel Apes. Possesses essentially the same power as Peter Parker. Okay. It's just the fact he has a tail built into the suit. Like, not, well, not built into the suit, but it's, like... Is it sticking out the suit? Yeah, but it is It's covered in the suit. Oh, right, so it's not sticking out the suit, it's the suit's around it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so like when he's got to put on this suit, he's like trying to shove his tail in there. <laughs> it's just a clever thought. Um, and there's also Spider-Man. Okay. Who's an OAP spider person. Instead of Peter being bitten, it was Aunt May. Right, yeah. So there's a few spider people that I would have expected to see in this that I didn't, and I would hope that we'll get them in the next one. The main one, the one I really want to see is the Japanese Spider-Man uh, from the old Japanese Spider-Man TV show. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever seen this. Spider-Man. It is insane. Like, the only part of it that is Spider-Man is the outfit. And that's he, that's his actual name, though, isn't it? Superman. It's yeah, it's something like that. He calls himself an emissary of hell, and he has like a giant Megazord-like robot because obviously he does because he's from a Japanese TV show. Do you have this comic? I would read it. Uh, no, I have comics where he, I have Spider Verse comics that he appears in. But, like, he's not from a comic, he's from a TV show, so you can probably find episodes of the TV show on YouTube. The other one that I expected would turn up that didn't was the Spider-Man from the 90s Spider-Man TV show, the 90s Spider-Man cartoon, which, to me, that is the definitive version of the Spider-Man Spider cartoons. There's been a lot of different iterations, but that's the one I grew up watching, and that's the one that I... I love because as well the last the last story arc in that cartoon was basically a Spider-Verse crossover. I think they did it before the comic books did it. Like he crossed over with loads of different spider people. Madame Webb uh, brought them all together. So he'll be used to this kind of uh, this kind of team up. And the very last episode of that show ends with him going to meet Stan Lee and he takes Stan Lee web swinging. It's like, I've just got a list of sp spider people here. And there's so many that could come into this, this cosmic Spider-Man that just looks overpowered. There's the spider, six-armed spider. There's spider cyborg. There's man spider. Have you heard of Spider's Man? Spider's Man was a colony of spiders Peter Parker fell into their nest and they ate him. And so Spider's Man is a colony of spiders that thinks it's Peter Parker. And it's basically like million ants from Rick and Morty, but all shoved <laughs> into a Spider-Man suit. <laughs> well, it's like, there's a Mexican one, Arachnido Jr. There's obviously ones we know like Silk and Madame Web. I love Silk. I'm surprised there hasn't been anything done with Silk in the web, movies yet. Web Weaver. Oh, don't give them ideas. Don't give Sony ideas. I'm worried about all these spin-offs as it is. I'm sure she is in one of the Tom Holland films. So Silk is Cindy Moon, and I think she's in either Homecoming 
or Far From Home, but obviously not as Silk. I want to change my answer of what I want to see because I've found one that just seems the funniest variant they could ever make. Pete Spider-Man. Oh, no, I think that's pronounced Spider-Man. Pete Spider-Man. Pete Spider-Man. Um, he's just a guy named Pete whose last name happens to be Spider-Man. Yeah. It says, while this variant of Spider-Man does have powers, they are likened to that of a slightly out-of-shape spider. <laughs> <laughs> Is this just like Peter from Deadpool 2 who has no powers? It's, it's just an accountant. Yeah. One character that did stand out of this for me was Peter B. Parker's kid. No, oh, that's Mayday. Mayday Parker. Mayday, Mayday Parker. Who is, uh, a, is, is a Spider-Woman in alternate timelines, Mayday Parker. Because there's so many kids Spider-Men, isn't there? There's like Spiderling, Spider-Girl. There is actually a new Spider-Person that has just been introduced in the comics called Spider-Boy. Okay. And so p- part of the story of this big crossover, the, the latest Spider-Verse crossover was that the big bad basically ha- had a knife that could sever you from the great web and it makes it so that you never became a spider person so peter parker gets stabbed with this knife and then he was never a spider-man um, and the longer it goes on for the less people remember him and then at the very end you know they're bringing back all the people who were severed and it's like oh so pete's back uh the spider woman came back because she got severed. There was somebody else. And then they went, right, I guess that's everyone. And then spider boy comes back. And the idea is he has always been spider boy in the mainline Marvel comics universe, but we have all forgotten him because he was severed from the great web for that long. And so we know nothing about him. He's just been introduced at like, the end of the previous comic so i wonder if there's room for spider boy to be introduced in beyond the spider verse there's just so many they could include in there yeah i think there are like more variants of spider-man than pretty much any other superhero more than loki more more than kang yeah i, I would i would bet they probably are what was everyone's first, I remember saying after we came out of the film, first warning sign that Miles didn't go back to the right universe. I remember, for me, it was seeing that Rio's mum had different eye colour. She had green eyes, whereas I think she has hazel eyes. I mean, that, that is attention to detail that I would have never noticed. Wait, she she had different colour eyes? Yeah, that's what I noticed. She had like really piercing green eyes in the wrong universe, which wasn't the eye colour she had in Miles's universe. No, I, I, I picked up on that. So I noticed when he got into the machine that it flashed up on a monitor and said "Universe yeah, 42. Yeah, I noticed that. Not her eyes. And and I, I remembered that the spider had forty two on it. And I think I only remembered that because forty two is the answer to life, the universe, and everything from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't have remembered the number. But when it said Universe forty two, I was like, oh. That's the Spider's universe. So I knew he was going to a universe without a Spider-Man. And then as he was talking to his mum and he says something like, um, does he say like, I, I, I wish dad was here to explain this. Or he says, and dad's been working with Spider-Man. Like, why don't you know this? And she's going, oh, Miles. And so I, I realised then 
that shit, his dad died in this universe, not Uncle Aaron. I didn't, like, the big mural was still, even though, like, I saw it coming, the big mural was still, like, a, a hard-hitting moment. I just I just want to pay respect to the fact you noticed the colour of her eyes was different. Like, that is, that is proper attention to detail. He's not even watching the film, he's just looking at colour people's eyes. I don't normally do that watching the film. I, I think it's a filmmaker's deliberate intention to accentuate the eye colour, make it very but bright. Hardly, hardly any people will have picked up on that, I reckon. Well, that's the beauty of this film. I think we all will have picked up on different clues that point to the same thing. So you mentioned about the, the sign flashing up. I didn't notice that at all. It was the eye colour for me. So there's probably other Easter eggs that hint that yeah. the universe that we neither of us have noticed. None of us have. So I, I also, I thought... I was going to say early on, but it, it, I, I don't think they get to to the, the big council of uh, council of ricks <laughs> on, on, until like about a third of the way through the film. But when when Miguel started saying like I can't remember that there were conversations, things said to Gwen like does does he know? Have you told him? And so I realised fairly early on that, oh, Miles is meant to be a spider person. And then thinking further back to when the spot tells him, basically, like, I brought the spider to this universe, I made you Spider-Man, it all suddenly, like, fit into place there. That, and, and so I'd kind of worked that reveal out as well. I don't know, did you guys see that coming? I, 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 no, not that he'd brought the spider, no. Um, he, he told him that... He'd brought the spider through. The spot told Miles he'd brought the spider. I was kind of as confused as Miles was because the spot kept saying, like, do you recognise him? And I was kind of thinking, like, well, I've not seen the first one in a while. Have I missed an obvious character? <laughs> I, I do love that they brought the bagel back into it. Yeah. Like, you hit me with a bagel. Like, that is that is basically his origin story, is, like, you didn't respect me then, you threw a bagel at me. I was just a joke to you then. Now I've got these powers. Will you take me seriously? And he still doesn't take him seriously. And he gets called villain of the week. And so like he's, he's gone out and got ridiculously powerful just to be taken seriously. Just to finally stop being the butt of the joke. Which makes him both very scary and very sympathetic in a weird sort of way. Yeah, there are basically two villains, and that's Miguel O'Hara and The Spot. I think Miguel O'Hara is the villain that they're going to show him the error of his ways, and he's going to come round at the end and realise that, oh, maybe there is another way. And The Spot is the villain that's going to stay irredeemable to the end, and probably he's probably going to be the villain that dies. I can see them annihilating each other, whether that's one of them doing a self-sacrifice or them both perhaps not being redeemed and destroying each other, possibly. Oh, yeah, I'd not thought of that. Miguel sacrifices himself to stop the spot from destroying the multiverse. And maybe he become, he comes to peace with that because he thinks he's stopping a canon event. Maybe he's so ideologically wedded to that and that's what convinces him to stay in give his life, and then that's how everyone else makes their escape, potentially. It's just, the spot, 
just seems to like once you get to that bit where his colors reverse and he just gets all like it reminds me of death note like the artistic animation of it do you know what i mean like the scribble but once he gets to that point you just look and you go oh shit this ain't good yeah, yeah he was he was a well-developed villain because you do laugh at him to start with and he is sort of a villain of the week sort of character and you don't take him seriously but he becomes more powerful and you do as it sort of goes along rather than the villain just showing up powerful and be- them having to overcome that like you get yeah. to see that how he actually becomes something to care about even in the trailer, he's only in it briefly as a punchline. And you sort I don't of think you believe think he's that... going to stay in it. No, you sort of think Miguel O'Hara is going to be the villain, which he is, but he's not the only villain. So it's a nice little plot twist without it being a, a two-in-your-face plot twist. It's just a nice sort of development. When is the next one coming out? Is it next year? It's almost exactly a year after this one. And there's going to be loads of hype for it, and it's... Like with Infinity War and Endgame, it's not fallen into the trap of... I know it's sort of seen as part two, part three, but it's going to be two distinct stories. This isn't. This hasn't fallen into the trap of films that did in the late noughties, early 2010s, where it was one story split into two and the first half not much happens and they're just setting up a big finale. I don't know. Happened in, I don't know, lots still happened in this film. I don't know if I agree with that. This doesn't feel like it has an ending. It feels like it has a, a beginning, a middle, and then a continuation, a, a setup for the next film. It, well, you could argue that was Infinity War, though, as well, wasn't it, to an extent? But I felt like Infinity War can stand alone as a story on its own. It's a story with a depressing ending, but it is like the end of that battle, whereas this one leaves it where the hero has been captured and the team's coming to rescue him. It's much more a um, Empire Strikes Back kind of ending than it is an Avengers Infinity War ending. Yeah, but that's fine. Rather than the sort of analogy, I didn't make it very well, the analogy I was trying to make is that it wasn't Deathly Hallows Part 1, Part 2, where Part 1 was like a filler film and then everything happens in Part 2. Lots happen in this, and then I say it's sort of an Empire ending and the third one's going to have Sort of an action-packed film as well. Or Hunger Games as well. Final Hunger Games film was sort of split into two and again. The third film, part one, it didn't feel like there was much to it. It was just setting up the next one. Yeah. I always feel like, especially when it's a book adaptation, and they get to the last one, and they say we're splitting this into part one and part two, it never feels like that's a decision based on the story. It feels like it's a decision based on we need to milk this as much as we can because we've got to the end of the series and we're not going to be able to make any more money out of it after this. Yeah, exactly. And Infinity War was originally called Infinity War Part 1, Part 2, wasn't it? It was. And I understand understand why they changed the name there. Um, This was also originally called Across the Spider-Verse Part 1 and Part 2, and then they changed it. But I think this would have made sense. Well, I mean, I've not seen Beyond the Spider-Verse yet, so I can't really say that, but it does feel more like it would have made sense as a part one and part two. Yeah, potentially, if it was like not doing any padding. That's the main thing they need to avoid, which they have avoided, which is a good thing. 
Yeah, I don't think anything really... I, I know I said the start of this did feel a little... start feeling a little bit slow to me. I don't think they've done anything majorly fillery up to this point. Like, nothing feels like it's just there to make... add time. Yeah, everything's there for a reason, and everything... everything that comes before they they go to the the citadel um everything is there as as character development and it's there to tell you more about miles and it's there to tell you more about gwen and i think they got the timing about right because just when i was starting to think come on can we get to a bit of action here can we get to some crazy spider-man variants is when that happened so I feel like they just got the timing right, like knowing when to move on with the story. Yeah, definitely. And I loved that moment as well. So when when they did first go to... D- d- does it have a name where they go to? I keep calling it like the Citadel because it reminds it's me the of Citadel the Citadel of, of Ricks. It reminds me so much of the Citadel of Ricks. That's all I can think. Just we them all walking around doing their own thing. Yeah. Um... Yeah, so when when Miles first goes there and you see Gwen go through the portal and you're like, he's going to follow her, he's going to follow her. And he doesn't, and he thinks about it, and then he turns to walk away. And like I, I was like, you know he's going to do it, but I was sat there willing him on. I mean, come on, Miles, go on, go on. You know you want to, you know you want to. And then he jumps through, and all in my head, of course, because I'm respectful in the cinema, I'm going, yes, go on! <laughs> I had the same kind of feeling as what so we've already spoke about at the end um, because I'd already realised he's in the wrong universe. I'm just, I'm waiting for that reveal. And even though I already knew it was coming, I'd, it, still, it still felt like, like a big moment. And I'm sat there like, come on, come on, work it out, work it out. Like he says, I'm Spider-Man. And I know she's, she's not going to know who that is. There is no Spider-Man in this universe. And like when, when she says who's Spider Man, there was like a murmur around the cinema. It's like, oh my yeah, I was feeling very smug at that moment that I'd already worked it out. I'll be honest. You smug bastard. <laughs> Do we come to a rating system now? Do we? Are we marking it out of ten out of five? I think we've always said ten because five can too many can aim up end up on the same level that shouldn't be on the same level. Yeah, because like three out, do five, out of five. Three out of five to me is very good. You double that to six out of ten. That's quite average. Yeah. Yeah, it's like Hunger Hunger Games, Mockingjay Part One's a free, but so's Green Lantern. <laughs> Green Lantern is not a free. You <laughs> that yeah. Um, yeah. So, how many spiders out of ten would you give this film? When when we recorded this episode the first time, I think I gave it a nine. I think I'm going to up that to a nine point five. Well, I was thinking of doing similar, so I gave it an eight. But I'm thinking maybe eight point five. Now I've had time to think about it and think about the little additions that are in there that I've thought about and gone. Do you know, like with the claws in the chase scene? Yeah, I mean Miles um, even points those out. I just didn't like, click that, oh my god, it's because he can't. Yeah. It's not just because he wants to kill Miles. I'm going to go, I was going to say 8 out of 10 would have been my rating. 
I think seeing the reaction it's had and the sort of cultural significance that it could have, I think will have, I'll up it to an 8.5. Oh, he's adding cultural significance in there. And just to add another boost, a live text have come through from our colleague, Jason. She's downloaded into the Spider-Verse and we'll watch it on the plane on Monday. Fantastic. I can't wait to hear what her thoughts are. Indeed. I've gone 9.5 because you've got to rate it like within its genre. So I'm not like comparing this to to to, to Schindler's List. For a, for a superhero film, I genuinely think that this is possibly the best superhero film that has ever been made. The only oh, ones that come close, I like Iron Man 1 is probably like an 8 and uh, Superman, the original Christopher Reeve Superman, is probably up there with it at like 9, 9.5. I can't imagine ever giving anything a perfect 10 because surely there's always room for improvement. Jurassic yeah. Park? Oh, God, yeah, Jurassic Park might be a 10. Um, I'd give, on the superhero side, I'd give Endgame a 10 because of the whole experience yeah. of watching that. I would give Just it for 10. the circles. Portals, the yeah. Portals. <laughs> the circles. The sky full of circles. Yeah. That I think as well. I th- this this sounds like a contradiction. A perfect film, it doesn't mean it ha- it doesn't have flaws. I think a perfect film is a film that is so good, the storytelling's so good that it overcomes those flaws. Yeah. I don't think it's possible for a film not to have flaws. I think yeah, if exactly. a film didn't have flaws, it'd be too good. <laughs> it'd be annoying but there's nothing that like especially from a podcast point of view it would be annoying to come on here and be like it was perfect this was perfect that was great that was great that was like to, for there to be nothing to pick up on and for us to go oh it'd have been cool if they did it this way yeah it'd be annoying and also you talk about especially with incredibly well we see films like Jurassic Park there's so many points about it you talk about. No one ever says, oh, why is the T-Rex the second on the tour? You'd leave it till last. You could argue that before <laughs> in the script. But no one, talk, no one talks about that because it's, it's not important. I have, never, I have never, never, never <laughs> once thought about that. Exactly. This is what I'm saying. Though. That's the point. You, the film's that Fuck good. Fuck the T-Rex. Yeah. I want to see a badger. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that's what he's saying. <laughs> No, that is what he's saying. No, if, no. if you had a if you had a dinosaur theme park, you wouldn't. The, the T Rex to... would be last year. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. it's it's not important in that film because of how good it is and all the other bits you talk about. I think because we've only got a year until the next Spider Verse film, we should make predictions maybe for what we're expecting to see. I predict there'll be an impactful death. And I think it'll be Peter B. Parker. Oh shit! Oh no, no. We've He's made we've made a we've made a just over the body like nudging him like, Dad. No, no. It's it's like Bambi all over again. Prepare yourselves. Cannot happen. I fear it will, and it'll be I devastating. Live, I don't want to live in that world. Hopefully, you don't have to bookmark this moment and replay it from the podcast next year. Ben, do you have a prediction? I think that Miles will reveal who he is to both his parents and one will be supportive and the other not. 
I can't see either of his parents not being supportive of him. I think they're just that, those kind of people. I just feel like it could throw a bit of a spanner into the works and like they'd have justifications for it, but... Maybe they'll flip it around a bit. So his dad kind of played good cop, his mum kind of played bad cop. Maybe his mum will be supportive of his, his dad initially. Well, I was thinking the other thing, because I feel like his, his dad plays bad cop and his mum plays good cop. Like, she's like, yes, yes, like all this, but like, okay, go after your girlfriend sort of thing. But I was thinking that, like, maybe his dad with his background of, like, knowing how dangerous things can be, he actually turns out quite supportive. And his mum... But he's also seen firsthand up close what Spider-Man can do. How he can handle himself, yeah. Yeah. So but, it makes sense that he's like, well, I've seen what you can do. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to say anything because <laughs> no one else can handle them as well as you. And But his mum's not seeing that side and just going to flip out and think, you're doing all this, you're going to die, I'm going to lose you. What do you think? I've already given my prediction, but I think we're going to get a Tom Holland cameo that is new footage. Oh, new uh, footage? Yeah, so not archive footage. That's what I was saying earlier. It's going to be newly recorded for this film. My other prediction is I think the next film is going to open on Miles and slowly reveal in the opening that it's the Miles of Earth 42. And I like that. I like that. We're going to get his backstory as the very first thing in that film, where we're going to see how he became the Prowler and why. Like it's going to start off all normal and you think it's just Miles like saying, let's do this one last time. Yeah. And then it just flips and you're like, oh, shit. That's a good prediction. So, I like it. So what we usually do on the podcast at the very end is just talk about what we've been uh, watching, playing, reading, doing recently that we'd like to recommend. So... Uh, ben, as you're a guest on today's episode, would you like to give any recommendations? Yeah, absolutely. I've got um, three. They're all series on Netflix. Um, oh, well, 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 well. We said you could do a recommendation, not fucking <laughs> three. <laughs> I'll, I'll keep it quick. <laughs> um, one is Transatlantic, which I really enjoyed. Um, it's set in Marseille during World War II. Obviously, France is under Nazi occupation. Um, and there's a small resistance group trying to smuggle people out of the country um, to safety. Obviously hard-hitting, but it does have elements of levity in it as well. Um, limited season, I think it's about eight episodes. I very much doubt they're going to do more seasons of it. Um, that was a really good watch. Beef, which I think you've talked about on the podcast before, really enjoyed that. It was something very different, quite binge-worthy as well. And then The Diplomat, I've just finished watching that, and that has been renewed for a second season. So basically, the plot of that is um, there's an experienced diplomat couple. They've both been ambassadors to different countries. Um, the main character, Catherine, has a heart set on being an ambassador to Afghanistan. But the president wants to send her to London uh, with a view to her being a vice presidential uh, candidate for him. So most of the plot takes place in London um, with different characters. Quite cerebral, sort of similar to House of Cards in a way. Um, but with some twists and turns along the way. So, yeah, all three of those seasons I've really enjoyed, would highly recommend. Fantastic. Something very different there. Do, do you want to do any recommendations before we go, Ben, or shall we...? Uh... Yeah. Um, 
just what I've been watching, because I've never actually watched it, and I keep seeing clips right on TikTok, so I thought I will watch it because the clips seem funny. I've been watching Shameless US. Okay. And it's actually quite good. Like, just because there's so many, it's like I, I needed, like, I felt like there was so much that we've been watching lately, Yellow Jackets, Beef, there's been, like, movies, and I'm just, I wanted something, something I could just put in the background. Like, I'm still watching, because obviously we're coming up to soon having Secret Secret Invasion, and I just wanted something a little bit more low-key I could just stick on. But I'm actually enjoying it, and I can't stop watching it. But I do want to recommend, it's not a TV show, it's a game. I've just re- started playing it, and it's Atomic Heart. It's on Unreal Engine. So, but with my PC, all graphics are set to low, but it still looks incredible. And I've literally, I must have played it for two hours last night, and I was like, I need to go to bed or I will not sleep. It was just so gripping. And it's a, it's really good from the get-go. What kind of game is it? So it's like first-person shooter, but like I've only got one gun and an axe at the minute, but it's also like a scavenge... Do you know, like, you look through drawers for... Yeah, that sounds like a survival game. Is it like a, survive, like a Resident Evil? Yeah, a little bit, because there's a little bit of stealth element to it. Yeah. Um it's set in, it's set in a world where Russia won World War 2. Okay, sounds interesting. Is that just on PC? Um no, so I think it's it's all platforms. Uh X, Xbox, PlayStation, PC. Um I've got it on Xbox Game Pass. Oh, okay. So it's definitely on Xbox. The main thing that struck me is that I was running it on bare minimum. Yeah. And it still looked fantastic. Cool. I don't I don't really have anything that I've not mentioned before. You know, I've been watching a few things, but nothing particularly recommend worthy. Like I'm I'm still doing my rewatch of Stargate SG one. How far are you with that? Series nine. So pretty far into it. Um I've started watching Grimm because I never watched that when it was originally out. You never watched Grimm? Never watched Grimm, so Oh that's on, fantastic. I'm on series three of Grimm now. But, I mean, as far as recommendations go, the thing that I've watched recently that I think everyone should watch is Yellow Jackets. And I know I've mentioned it before, but it's one of the best series that I've watched in a long time. So I said, I said to you, it's one of them shows where you know exactly what's happening, but at the same time, you have no idea what's happening. The, the, the question is, like, whether the paranormal things that seem to be happening are actually paranormal or if it's all in their imaginations, if they're just reading into signs... If they're finding patterns in things that aren't there. Right. Anyone got anything else? Okay, so I think that is it for this episode. Thank you very much for listening. We do appreciate it. Um, If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email us. We are on notnpod at gmail.com. You can also message us. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at newsofthenerd. If you've enjoyed listening, please subscribe to us on whatever podcast app you listen to and give us a five-star rating. It would really help us grow. The best thing you can do to help us is to uh, spread word of mouth. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your co-workers, tell anyone that you think would be interested in listening. And who else should you tell? Henry Cavill. No, (laughs) mums!
Yeah, tell tell Henry Cavill and tell Henry Cavill's mum. <laughs> <laughs> Never coming on this podcast again. <laughs> uh, thank you for listening and goodbye. Good night. Goodbye. It might not be night when we're listening to it, Ben. Good morning, good afternoon, good night. That's Truman Show. Uh, I don't see you. Good afternoon, good evening, and good yeah, night. Yeah, I was just about to say that. <laughs> oh, what a brilliant film. Right, I'm going to go and watch the Truman Show. See you later. Yeah, Jurassic Park might be a 10. It gets a 10 just for clever girl. Not that Jurassic Park, you knobhead. (laughs) That's not a 10. Why? Which Jurassic Park are you talking about? Yeah, I was going to say. The one that's called Jurassic Park, not Jurassic World. Yeah. He says clever girl Jurassic Park. Yeah. Aren't you... No, 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 Jason's wrong. He's wrong. He's wrong. Come on, celebrate. Don't cut this bit out. No, wait. That's what Chris Pratt says to the no, raptors. No, he says stay down. He holds his hand up. Oh, okay. Robert, with more... the shotgun, he looks and the velociraptor's there and he's like, clever girl. So you're wrong. Like, let's celebrate. <laughs> it's the gamekeeper guy. Well, not gamekeeper. It's Robert Muldoon. He's like the security guy in the first yeah. one. He's going out and he spots the raptor. And then it's the one that comes from the side, which Alan Grant warns about, to which he then says, clever girl. Oh, that, that's fine. I edit the podcast. This, this won't be... <laughs> <laughs>